We are finishing today our, not finishing, I'm sorry, this Saturday would be finishing. We're nearing the end of our sermon series, Backstage Christmas. We've been using the theme of the theater program that we hosted here this last week to be our reason to talk about the fact that there's a whole lot that goes into a show besides the show itself. There's all the prep work ahead of time, all the behind the scenes stuff. And if Jesus is the, is the story of God's love, and that's the greatest story ever told, right? The greatest story ever told is that God loves us and he showed us through Jesus Christ. Then if that, if that Christmas is the opening act of that, then we wanted to talk about all that went into that. So our series is Backstage Christmas. We'll wrap it up this Christmas Eve for our weekend service at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great time. The kids will sing. We'll have a candlelight service portion. We'll have a message. You'll want to be here Saturday night at 6 p.m. for our, sun, uh, our Saturday night and our weekend service. Okay. Um, but anyhow, as we wrap this thing up, we've been talking through a whole series about how that uh, every show, the most important person is the director. And, and in, the, in the show last week, it was Steve Gustus who was the director. The director's the most important person. Everyone's important. Everyone's needed. You've got to have cast and crew. But you've got to have somebody who has a first has a vision for it, who thinks about what the show's going to be, who, who either writes the show or, or, or gets the rights to the story to present the show, who recruits, who does casting, who gets a crew together, who does props, who has a vision. The director is the key. And in the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus, the director is God the Father. And we said in week one, we talked about how that he, uh, he did a lot of back work. With hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus arrived, God was in the background preparing people, and we see him kind of releasing the, the word ahead of time. And we talked about how that he, he kind of got things ready. And in week one, we made this observation that the director sees now what you can't see yet. You'll see it when the show starts, but he sees it ahead of time. And in your life, that's true. In your story, that's true. The director sees now what you can't see yet. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how that it's not just what happens on stage, but what happens off stage that makes a difference. And it's not just the people under the spotlight, but all the other people around the story that make the show happen, the crew... And we said in that week that the director sees what you do even when no one else does. And then, of course, last week we talked about um, casting the right people and the backstory to Mary and the backstory to Joseph and the backstory to Jesus. And we said this, that the director knows who he needs for what he's doing. And so that was our, our series so far. Today we're going to take one more step before we wrap this up on Christmas Eve. But here's what I want to ask you to think about today. What good is a show if there is no one there to see it? Picture this last week we hosted the school play. And Steve and all the kids came the last two weeks here and practiced hours at a time. And before that, practicing and getting posters ready and signs out front. And all the work was going on. And opening night, Friday night last week, they came on stage to present their show. And the audience was, the room was empty. And they came back Saturday night, and they would have come back, and the show in the room would have been empty. Now, it wasn't. It was, it was packed. But imagine it was empty. And then they thought, maybe Sunday someone's going to show up, right? Well, if they came back Sunday, and once again, no one was there, and they performed to an empty room, what would have been the point? You see, I guess in some college level of learning, performing to an empty room could have some merit in training. But the whole point of putting on a show is for people to watch it. The whole point of the show is the audience for people to, to see it, to be invited into it, to come experience it, to be a part. The show is for 
the audience. And we discussed in week one, a few weeks ago, how that God, kind of ahead of time, even hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus, he kind of released the early teaser trailer, you know what I'm saying, about what was coming. He did the early press release that one day a Messiah was coming. Way from the beginning, he kind of he sent the word out ahead of time. But then, after saying, coming soon to a, main, to a stable near you, you know, coming soon, then when the time was right, well, when the time was right, he began to gather an audience. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of, Herod, of King Herod. Now, understand when I say that part of the verse that uh, Jesus was prophesied in ancient times in Micah and even to King David that, um, that the, he, this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But if you were with us last week, you learned that Joseph and Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. It took a taxing, it took a census by the Roman government to get them to Bethlehem. And they were there and so Jesus was born there. We'll discuss more of that on Christmas Eve. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Herod, of course, was the regional leader over the Judean and the surrounding countries of Judea. But ultimately, Rome, the Roman Empire, was in charge. They appointed Herod to be the one who answered to them as he ruled over the area of Israel. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. About that time... Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. I'm going to quickly pause here and say this. These wise men, they came from the east. Now, how far east? Pretty far east. A lot of things are going to tell us, we're going to see in a while, that their journey was probably potentially over a year long. So it was probably well over a year long in, in, in travel. So that's pretty far east. Uh, they didn't have technology but how far east did they come from? They came from eastern lands. Well, we don't know, but we, here's a couple of thoughts for you. Um, it, it, it came from a ways. I mean, you know, we can think about the Persian Empire at one time that reigned over the, uh, the nation of Israel during the captivity, after the captivity, when the Babylonians fell, the Persians arose, and of course, there a lot of scriptures were being spread then. Think of Daniel during the Babylonian and Median Empire, spreading the, the, the prophecies of a coming Messiah and of the end times. But, but this had to be further than that to take that long to get there. Also because the country's not named. They could name Persia. They could name other places that they knew about. But a lot of the eastern part of the world was fairly unknown to the, to the, to the region that the Bible takes place in, the Middle East and the, and the part of Europe. So whatever this place was, India, China, I don't know, somewhere far east, some people, some wise men, come from there all the way to Jerusalem and when they came, they said, they, um, they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now this is also interesting because apparently in order to do this, they had a star that they saw in the sky. And this was very amazing because no one else is looking for this star. No one in Jerusalem, in a story, is sitting around saying, oh yeah, the star. In fact, if you read the ancient Hebrew scriptures, it's very hard to figure out where the prophecy came from. There's, a, there's some ancient writings back in the, uh, uh, the books of the law where it mentions that a star shall rise out of Judah. But that could, it almost sounds like he's referring to a person. 
So, so it, this could be an astrological sign that people from the east may have been more aware of than people in the Either way, they saw a star and understood that it meant something. And they understood something about the coming promised king and Messiah as the word spread through the captivity and made it all the way to the east through the major trade routes of Persia. Somewhere way out east, they knew that this prophecy was coming. And while the people back home weren't even looking for it, they were looking for it. When they saw the star, they traveled to Jerusalem to meet what they called the newborn king of the Jews. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, Herod, the king, was not happy to hear someone show up on his doorstep and talk about a newborn king of the Jews. Because guess who Herod was? Herod was the king of the Jews, and so a newborn king of the Jews should be his kid. And last he checked, Mrs. Herod didn't have a baby last week or whatever. So something's wrong here. Newborn king of the Jews, what's this about? This is problematic. You understand that in ancient times, people were always afraid of someone usurping their power, of, of civil unrest, of someone taking over, of someone causing trouble under the Roman Empire regionally and trying to find their independence. A king of the Jews other than Herod? Is this some kind of an idea of a future revolt? Do you know that in those days, a person who was in charge, they could, be depo they could be dethroned by Rome if they're not ruling their area well, often put to death? So Herod, out of preservation for his empire and out of fear of reprisals, has to worry about this, this idea. And so he's being told there's a king of the Jews born. Now, we're not going to tell the, the rest of the story with Herod because it's kind of dark. We often tell that story at Christmas time, and some of you know the story, but Herod basically does some pretty aggressive things to extinguish and make sure there was no newborn king of the Jews. It's a tragic story. We will not get into it all today. What we want you to notice today is that these wise men from these eastern lands noticed a star and knew about the prophecies and came all the way there to worship the Messiah. Because the star in the sky was for them the trailer saying, hey, the show's about to start. You better get here. And they followed the star. Now I want you to notice this, that skipping ahead in the story to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 9, after this interview with Herod, after this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east, when they were in the east, guided them to Bethlehem. So now the star is back. And they see the star, and it guides them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, a fascinating, a fascinating miracle in itself. Verse number 10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And it says in verse 11, and we'll stay here for a little bit here, verse 11, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened up their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So these are the first people that we are going to read about today. They're not the only ones who, who were invited to the show at the beginning. And what I want you to notice is, and by the way, there are just, this is a time where I'm going to pause the story and kind of straighten out some misperceptions we have of Christmas. And I'm not being critical. I know there are, I'm going to, I'm going to be the guy that does the whole actually thing here for a minute, okay? So, so let me do that with you. We're going to go actually, but I'm not doing it like some people do it where you're wrong if you don't see it my way and I am going to put you down. I don't, 
I, I appreciate the, the condensing of cultural things for symbolisms and stuff. For example, if you were to go outside and look at a, tr- at a manger scene outside of a church or a house or a store or a, a maybe a, a big building, a government building perhaps, you saw a manger scene, you might see Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. We have a display like that, right? That you see the three of them together. That's, that's the basic manger scene from the Christmas story. But if you ever saw a more elaborate scene, it has more characters than that, right? Like if you see, like, like if you watch Home Alone, remember when Kevin's running during Home Alone and he hides in the little manger scene from the, from the bad guys? Okay, anyhow, you have a big, more elaborate manger scene where you have Mary and Joseph and maybe, maybe Jesus, but you also have um, the shepherds and you have the wise men. All these people gathered around in that scene, right? Here's what I want you to understand. The wise men were not there. This, and that's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being all technical here, but they were never at the manger scene. It took them way too long to get from where they were in the eastern lands to there to be at the manger scene. Based upon the time that Herod, the king who tries to basically kill off all the babies because he's afraid of this king, and he guessed at what time the star first appeared to indicate the birth of Jesus, he killed all the kids two years old and under. So basically what we understand in the story is that Jesus, at the time that the wise men actually showed up to the scene, was not a baby in a manger anymore. He was probably anywhere from one years old to almost two years old. In fact, if you read the verse on the screen, it says that when the wise men arrived, they went not to a, to a stable, not to a manger, but they went into a house. See it? They entered the house. And they saw not a baby, but a child, or you could say a toddler, a little one, right? Not, not a newborn baby, but a, a young a young child, in a house. Because it took him so long to get there. He's probably a good year or so old now. And that's important to understand. Not, it doesn't matter. Look, I'm not against, you know, obviously if you're going to do a manger scene and put all these characters outside, it'd be kind of weird to have the shepherds and Mary and Mark, Joseph, and then, and then 30 feet away, there's the wise men way over there trying to still get there. That'd be silly. So I understand condensing it for symbolism. But just so as you know, if we're being technical, they weren't at the manger scene. They showed up about a year or so later to a house. Because here's another thought. Jesus didn't stay in a manger, in a stable. Okay, let me just let us all participate here together. Someone tell me, why was Jesus, why was Mary and Joseph in the stable in the first place? Why was Jesus born in a manger in the first place instead of a better place? Why was, he, why was he out there in the first place? Anybody? There's no room in the inn. Why was there no room in the inn? Because of the census, right? There's a census going on. So, so, so everyone's full. By the time they arrived in Bethlehem, someone had booked all the hotel rooms. All the Airbnbs were full. There was no place to go. They arrived, they're like, man, we can't find a single place. And the only place they could find to stay was out here in the stable. So you have Mary and Joseph saying, well, we'll take it. A stable's not great, but it's better than nothing. But she's very pregnant. She gives birth to the baby while they're in the stable. They lay him in a manger. But folks, they didn't want to stay there. They didn't sit there a few weeks later and say, hey, you know, the census was over. The census, people go back home. They finish their work. They travel back where they're from. They didn't say a few weeks later, hey, you know what? I kind of like living in the barn. Let's just stay out here forever. That's not what happened, right? I mean, they could have gone back to, to, to Nazareth, but obviously, obviously, traveling with a young baby might be kind of risky, right? So they decided to stay there. Joseph was a carpenter. He went to work there. But they moved out of the stable, and they moved into a house. So they weren't always in the stable. This was for the first couple days until the census was over. By the time the wise men arrived, they were in a house. 
Now, if I'm ruining the imagery of Christmas for you by not putting the wise men at the manger scene, let me ruin it further by ruining one of our favorite songs. I know, this is terrible, right? You like the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are? I love the song, sing the song. Look, I don't care if it's accurate or not. Okay, sing away. I mean, uh, last service, Ron Porter was in our early service uh, because he couldn't stay for both. He came to the early one, which I love, by the way. Um, so he, he was able to be with us in this hour. And he, uh, he, um, he in that service, he, I was talking about his favorite song. His favorite song is The Little Drummer Boy. We were discussing that over coffee this week, The Little Drummer Boy. And The Little Drummer Boy is also not a biblical narrative. As far as we know, no drummer boy showed up to the manger scene and played for Jesus, Okay. That'd be kind of cruel. Like, uh, please, are you very talented? Ah, how many of your parents love it when your kids play the drums at home and they're learning? Yay. But anyhow, I don't know. That's, that's, not a, that's not a doctrinal song, but I don't care. It's a cool tune, especially the rocked out version, okay? So enjoy it. But here's the thing. The, the We Three Kings of Orient Are song is a fine song. It's just a little actually, okay, got to correct some things. First of all, they weren't kings, as far as we know. I mean, they could have been, I guess. But nowhere in the story does it say they were kings. They were wise men. But you see them in royal outfits coming with crowns on their head. They, it doesn't say they were kings. They came to worship a baby that they believed was a king. They came to worship a king. They came to worship the newborn king of the Jews, as they called him. But it doesn't say they were kings. They were wise men. Also, it doesn't say that there were three of them. Someone want to guess in here why we always assume there were three of them? Why? Because they had three kinds of gifts, right? So it must have been three, because we, we picture it. There was one guy, he's in charge of the gold. There's the gold guy, there's the frankincense guy, there's the myrrh guy. You know, they, all the, they had their lanes, right? Like they each had a portion, which I think the gold guy might need a little more help to carry the gold, perhaps, depending on how much there was there. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's just, we think there were three. There weren't three. In fact, most likely traveling that far with wealth and just in traveling for safety in general, there's probably an entourage. Servants, people taking care of the livestock that they traveled with or on, the wealth, the guard. I mean, there was probably a whole entourage of people. Not three, but there were three kinds of gifts. And the gifts were symbolic of Jesus and his purpose. That is, he was the king, his royalty with the gold and his, his priestliness with the uh, uh, role with the frankincense and the myrrh, that he was our sacrifice to die on the cross and rise again. All the gifts were symbolic of Jesus' divinity and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. It was all a picture of what he came to do. So please keep singing the song. It's a great tune. Enjoy it. Go to your, set up your manger scene with all the fancy characters. I, I don't love it. But just understand that probably the three wise men showed up. I'm sorry, three. Listen to me. The many wise people showed up much later than the manger scene to a baby, to a chi young child in a house with his parents who were living there now. And they never even saw the other people that were at the scene. Okay? So just a little history for you in case... You care. They walked in. And by the way, all the songs that we sing that are just silly, I always laugh at the one that says, do you hear what I hear? I love the tune, do you hear what I hear? But uh, the funny part is, like they always talk about the, a child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. I'm like, could you think of something more practical? Like maybe a blanket or a Snuggie or something? I don't know. He's cold, my goodness, you know. But anyhow, it's all for a reason. It's a great story. But um, that's the details. Now, if you are thinking through a certain lens, you might be tempted to read that story and think to yourself, mm-hmm, of course. Of course, the rich and powerful 
were the first to get the message. Of course they were. Of course the rich and powerful were able to gain early access to the birthday of Jesus. Of course they were. They're rich. They had backstage pass. They had VIP uh, passes to see the show. Of course they did. They're rich and they're powerful. They were the first ones there. But folks, if that's what you think about the story, you'd be wrong. That was not the case. Because I want you to check out for a few minutes what was happening at the same time the baby was being born and the star was shining to the men in eastern lands. They make all this long trip to get there. At the same time that was happening, something was happening out in the back fields of Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that story. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, this is not the wealthy or the elite or powerful. These are shepherds. And if you want to know how unwealthy they were, think about this. They were out working late at night to guard the sheep. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you one of several things. Either they were mere employees for the shepherds who owned the sheep. In other words, if you owned a lot of sheep and had a big operation, enough to hire some hired hands to do the work with you, guess who's getting the midnight shift? What we call the graveyard shift. <laughs> Not me, buddy. You know what I'm saying? I'm back at home having I'm I'm back at home eating a nice cozy supper and watching Netflix and the football game afterwards, right? The people working the midnight shift, those are the guys that you hired. Okay. Or if you're too small of an operation to be able to afford a hired hand at night, that you gotta watch your own sheep. You're not doing you're not very rich either. Perhaps there's a few shepherds who have a small flocks and they'd work together to take turns and they'd all kind of strengthen numbers and watch their each sheep kind of together as a group. No matter how you look at it, when you're out that late at night staying awake trying to eke out a living in the shepherding business as an employee or a sheep owner just trying to pay your bills, you are not well off. But these shepherds are out there with the sheep, and I know that we make them all cute, but it was a smelly, dirty job, a dangerous job sometimes when the animals came to hunt them. But that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields, guarding their flocks of sheep. Verse 9, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And check it out. They were terrified. This is always what happens when an angel shows up in the Bible. Remember two weeks ago when Zechariah is in the temple by himself and he's at the incense altar, all of a sudden he's all, the only one supposed to be in there. Poof, an, uh, poof, I'm not poof, excuse me. Poof, an angel is next to him at the incense altar. What do you do? Well, you might do what I just said. You, you know, right there in your robe. I don't know. But uh, he, uh, he, he's all of a sudden, there's an angel there. He's terrified. What did Mary do when she saw the angel? It says she was disturbed. I know, I know what we do. At Christmas time, it's angels. Angels are beautiful. We sing songs about angels. We have like, I believe there are angels among us. You know, I mean, we just love the angels. They're so wonderful. If I saw an angel, I would just skip for joy and sing with the angel, and I would stop instantly and paint a Thomas Kincaid portrait. But in the scriptures, whenever someone saw an angel, the reaction went from being disturbed or terrified or in other cases, literally passing out or losing all strength and falling on the ground in a heap. Because if something from a spiritual realm showed up to, right now and just started talking to you, we'd probably be freaked out too. 
And so they ain't in the shepherds. They're not even alone. They're not like Zechariah, the old guy alone in the temple, or young Mary by herself. There's a whole bunch of these guys. They're strength in numbers, but they're all terrified still. Larry, Larry, do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? Larry, do you see what I see? Yeah, pinch me. You know, I don't know what's going on, Merv. This is creepy, you know. There's an angel that came out of nowhere, and he's talking to us. They were terrified. Verse number 10 says, but the angel, the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. There it is. You know what good news, you know what the word gospel means? It's good news. That's what, that's what gospel means. That's the story of Christmas. The angel said, I'm here to bring the gospel. I'm here to bring a message of God's love. I'm here to let you know that everything changes since the world has been in sin and until it's over one day because of what is happening right now that people were looking forward to before now and then since then to look back to. This is the good news. This is the gospel moment that Christ is entering the world, that God's love is demonstrating forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. I'm bringing you good news. And it's going to bring great joy to all people, all people everywhere of all stripes and all races and all, all, all ethnicities and all, you know, religious or irreligious backgrounds. It's all, all people. This is good news that will bring great joy for all people. What's the news? Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. Well, that's where they were. They were just out there in the fields nearby. Verse 12, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth lying in a manger. So this is pretty big. When an angel comes and tells you something like that, it's a pretty big deal. But it wasn't over yet. Verse 13 says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Now, when you're already just getting over the fact that some angel just appeared among you while you're watching the sheep, you're all trying to be tough because that's kind of scary, and he's been talking to you about some good news, so you're kind of calming down, and all of a sudden a whole bunch of more appear, an army, a host of uh, others, joining, and they begin to praise God. Can you hear them singing? They begin to praise God. And they begin to say, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, I know that some of us who grew up in a certain, maybe a certain uh, specific English translation from hundreds of years ago in the Bible, we heard that a little differently. It says, glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And this is just almost universally understood uh, in, in today's jargon and in proper translation. This is what the verse is actually saying. I know that messes up with some, that messes up some songs for us, I know, and I'm sorry about that. But that's, that's, how, that's what they said. But, but I want to point that out to you because some people might misunderstand the verse. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Does that mean that God is saying he is only there for those with whom he's pleased? That they can have peace on earth and the rest can't? No. It's not an exclusionary statement. What the verse is reminding us is this. 
that it was God's pleasure. What pleased God was to send his son so that all may be saved. That God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That he sent his son for the world, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish. That God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That the understanding is this, that God sent Jesus because it pleased him to send him. And later it pleased him to bruise him even for our sake to be saved. And what the shepherds were saying is, this is a sign that God loves you, that God is sending his son, the prince of peace on earth, because he's pleased to offer redemption to all mankind. It's a beautiful and powerful statement the angels were making. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. I love it. That was the first thing they said. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, you're like, let's go. What do you mean, let's go? Don't you forget that you're watching sheep? What are you going to do, bring all the sheep with you? If they did bring all the sheep with them, that would have been a whole lot more than the two little sheep lambs at the, at the manger scenes you see at the, at the store, you know? Did they bring all the sheep with them? And the whole, I mean, I don't know. Did they just leave the sheep and say, well, good luck, we'll be back in a while? I don't know. Do they leave one guy? They draw straws and, okay, Ensign Ricky's got to stay here and watch the sheep. The rest of us get to go and see the baby. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. All I know is that they're like, we're not sticking around here watching sheep anymore. Can you believe the dereliction of duty? But here's the deal. There's just those times where something so spectacular happens that you just can't sit still and just stay in your lane. If an angel ever appears to you in this case, at, at work in the middle of the fields at night, followed by an entire host of angels singing to you and telling you about a baby in a manger nearby, I think you're, it's okay to say, I don't know about you, I'm going to go ahead and go check it out. We'll figure out the sheep thing later, but I'm not going to blow that off. You just, don't, you just don't blow it off when the angel says, boo, <laughs> check out what's going on in Bethlehem. You kind of go check it out. And so the shepherds are like, let's go. Let's go. We've been invited to witness this thing. We've been invited to be in the audience. Let's go and let's see. Let's go and let's see what God is doing. And they did. Verse 16 says, They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. It's a beautiful scene. We're not going to stay here very long right now because we're going to kind of wrap up here Christmas Eve in a few days. But what I want you to notice before we're done is what happens next. After the shepherds were invited by the angels to come and see, to go and see the baby, to be the audience. By the way, to be the first audience. The wise men weren't there yet. They were the first ones there. The powerful weren't arrived yet. It was the lowly shepherds that were there. But once they got there and they were invited to see, what did they do next? Let's read the story. Verse 17 says, After seeing him, Jesus, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They told everyone. 
I mean, they couldn't stop talking about it. They went, they, they, they went left there. They stopped by 7-Eleven, bought some big gulps. And the guys, did you hear? A baby was born. We were just there. Oh my goodness, you should have seen it. The little baby in the manger. And we, the angel told us in the field, come out of nowhere, didn't he, Larry? Yes, he did. Scared us to death. I know, it scared me to death too. But then the angel told us the baby was there. And, and, then, and they got talking faster like I do. And they ran and they just said, you got to see this thing. They told everyone. They told their family. They woke up, the, the wife and kids, Martha, kids, wake up. You got to hear what happened to us at work last, last night. I mean, they told everyone. Because they couldn't help it. It was so deep inside of them. It poured out. What the angel had said about the child. Verse 18 says, All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. This is what God was doing, folks. A couple weeks ago, we saw Zachariah and Elizabeth when they had a baby in their older years, that the entire Judean hills were amazed and talking about it and buzzing about it. And then Mary's pregnancy, and now the baby's being born, and the angels were there, and the shepherds are talking. God is stirring the region because he's letting the world know that something that was long prophesied is finally happening. Pay attention, because before it's all over, his adult life and his ministry and his miracles are going to get more attention until you watch him die, and then you see him risen again, and it's going to change the world. And boy, has it ever changed the world. Here we are today on the other side of the planet on Sunday morning, worshiping his name. But they spread the word, and everyone was astonished. The buzz was going. Verse 19 says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. She took care of that little bundle of life that was entrusted to her. She just thought about it often. Wow, what an incredible, what a glorious night. What a glorious night. Verse number 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks. So apparently they did leave them. Went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. That's kind of the Christmas story. We're going to read it together. In fact, we're going to read it in its traditional translation this coming Saturday night together, Christmas Eve. The whole story, not just part of it. But what I want to do today is to kind of end there with a couple simple thoughts. That there was an invitation given because the whole point of a show is for there to be an audience, for people to be there to enjoy the show, to be invited into the show. And that's what today we're talking about. Here's what I want to say to you. That God invited those close and far away. That God invited the close and the far away. Geographically, the shepherds were very close. They were right there in Bethlehem. The wise men from the far eastern lands, they were far away. But God invited the close and the far away to his show. And that's true today. Again, as I said earlier, it's not just, this is not just a message for people in the, the country of Israel or the surrounding countries of the Judean landscape in the Middle East. This is a message that is for the whole world. That's why across the other side of the planet we're worshiping him today. But not just geographically close or far away, but spiritually close 
or spiritually far away. God invited the close and the far away. And perhaps you're here today and you're saying, Arlen, I just feel so far away from God. I feel so far from him. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I have different, I, I just, I, I have just got, I got struggles. I feel I've messed up so bad. I feel like God has nothing to do with me. I, I've, gone, I've gone on a path so far, I don't know how to get back. Or perhaps I was once there and I've kind of got, become skeptical and I, my mind is so far away. I'm just, I feel far away for whatever reason. Or perhaps you, uh, but here's the thing. God's invitation is for those who are far away. And perhaps you feel like you're close, like you think I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. If God's coming for anybody, it's for me. I got news for you. We're all sinners. No matter how close we think we are or how close we think somebody else is better than us or how far away we think others are or that we are. We, the ground is level at the cross. We are all in need of a Savior, and Jesus came for us all. So whether you feel very close today or very far away, God's invited the close and the far away. Also, those with much to give and those with nothing at all. In the case of the, the, the wise men who came from far away, they had money. They had means. They could bring gold. They could bring frankincense. They could bring myrrh. They could bring all their gifts. They can come in and, 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 and have something to show. They were people of means. He invited them. But he also invited some shepherds who had nothing to bring them. But dirty hands and dirty sandals. Because God is not inviting you because he wants something from you. He invites you because he wants something for you. That he sent his son because you matter, because you, he values you. And you are invited. Those with much to give, those who have all the things, the money, the wealth, the power, the talent, yes, that's wonderful. And those who feel that they have nothing to offer. God says, I love you. And I invite you to my show. In other words, what I'm saying is simply this. God's invitation is to you. It's to you. And if you've never accepted his invitation of, of, of grace today, I'd encourage you to do so. In just a moment, we're going to have a quiet time before we have some songs. And in the back of your seat in front of you, there's three cards. The back one should be one that says the gospel on it. You can pull that out, read it over. There's even a sample prayer you can pray along with on that card if you want it. But here's what I want to ask you to do. Is this my cord messing up now at the end of the service? Of course it is. Lovely. Um, give me a side mic here and turn this off. Here's the deal. If you've never received the gospel, would you receive it today? That God wants a relationship with you. He's in all that is necessary for you to be invited in. But he lays the, the, the gift is laid at your feet, but you've got to accept it. God's invitation is to you. Next, I want to say this. If you've, if you've accepted it before, I want to say this to all of us today. God's call is to invite others. The wise men in the story, they didn't. Listen, the wise men in the story, I'm sorry, the shepherds in the story, they were invited, and so they came. But when they left, you know what they did? They invited others. They told everyone what they saw. When's the last time we invited somebody else? When's the last time we were so full in our hearts of God's goodness that we spread the word to other people? To the 
to, that, to our family members, to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to the other hobby enthusiasts who share our passions in life. Folks, God's call is for us to invite others to spread the word, not to hold it to ourselves, not to keep it secret, but to tell everyone everywhere just what God is doing. Because in the end, the director, well, the director loves inviting people to the show. He loves inviting people to the show. And he did. And in the story of the opening act of the story of Jesus, he invited shepherds and eventually wise men from far away. And they spread the word from there, and people have been spreading the word ever since. And today, I hope that wherever you are, you will join the director in inviting people to the show. Christmas Eve's coming. I think you can invite someone to faith in Christ without inviting them to church. That's easy to do. Just tell them what Jesus did for you and invite them to faith. But sometimes inviting them to church is a nice place to get them started in the conversation in a community to further the conversation about God in their life. And sometimes it's nice at certain times of year to have a good invitation tool. What a great invitation tool Christmas Eve is. Is that Christmas and Easter thing where you're like, hey, I always wanted to ask you to come, but here's a special occasion. Would you come? Invite people to the service. Invite them to a special service. Invite them to Christ. Invite them to coffee with you to talk about Jesus. But let's do what the director has called us to do and invite people to the show. Because in the end, this is, after all, the greatest show. Let's pray.